Hello, welcome to our online service for November 15th. We are finishing our study of the Psalms today with Psalm 22. You'll probably find some of it familiar. And we're going to be gathering at the cross today to worship as we listen to his word and as we pray and sing together. Please worship well with us. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. 
I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions, mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put into me the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come, my strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. I'm going to start over on that part, okay? <clears throat> but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we start in our study Psalm 62. And although we might begin this particular psalm, we are actually concluding our series through the book of Psalms. Um, and I hope it has been a blessing to you in a number of different ways. I hope that um, a number of times, um, from a number of different speakers, that the word of the Lord has come to you, has come into your home, and has offered words of encouragement or challenge, um, of both uh, a relief, as well as, I think, the Bible, when properly explained, or uh, and it doesn't even need us or me to explain it, but when the word of the Lord comes to us, it comes with its own conviction, with its own burden. And I pray uh, that you have felt that, that not just the wit or the wisdom of myself or other of the preachers here at Sunnybrook, but that the word of the Lord itself, under the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit, has moved in your heart and has uh, provided what you have needed for his glory, other benefit, and for your joy. 
But we are at the end of this series. We are getting ready to begin Advent. Uh, Christmas is just around the corner. Um, 2020 is nearing a close. And so we're just getting ready for that and trying to prepare our hearts and our minds, but our families and and us as a family um, to not only give thanks. Hear me. This is what we do, even in difficult times, to give thanks to the Lord for what He has done and to continue to trust Him even in difficult and uncertain times. We are not going to grow weary, and we are not going to become complainers or murmurers or arguers, but we are truly going to give thanks to God in all times. And the Psalms, I think, have taught us that. And so I thought I would just begin this message as we look at this last Psalm, which for those of you that that know not only the words of this Psalm, but from the words of our Savior on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Is something that we read in Matthew and Mark's account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, words that comes out of his mouth. So this Psalm really just ends our time, but it also focuses us on our Savior. So we're ending our time uh, with the Psalter, and now we're beginning uh, to realign ourselves and making sure that we are um, in line with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And these Psalms really have, have brought, hopefully, a language for us to hear and even to speak back to God. And so I just thought, just thinking as a summary, what are some of the blessings that we have received in terms of the book of Psalms and maybe how it has taught us or guided us in our um, understanding of and appreciation and obedience to God. The first thing that we see from the Psalms is I just reflect back on the ones that we studied and a number of ones that we didn't have time to study is I appreciate just how honest they are. The Psalms are very honest in the way that they speak. Here's from a Psalm that we did not have an opportunity to study together. Listen to the honesty in this. My heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grips me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Very few of us are bold enough to speak language like that unless we're at the breaking point. And even when we do, we make sure that the right people are around us if we're going to be that honest or that vulnerable. And yet the psalmist, David or other writers, are... um, before the presence of God, are transparent. They are willing to be truthful about what is happening in them. And the Psalms give us that that picture of a life that is being lived transparently before God. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've had such a positive response through this series, is just the honesty that comes. And in a time and in a day and in an age where so many of our words are calculated, or um, as I see on social media, and I'm even guilty of this, trying to craft the right things to say, the wording in a particular, there seems to be, although there's a craft in the Psalms, don't get me wrong, there is just a blatant honesty that we see. That, by the way, was in Psalm 55, verses 4 and 5. So I'm grateful for the honesty that comes, and it teaches me to be honest before God and others. The second thing is I really appreciate how personal the Psalms are. The The Psalms don't just talk about faith in its detached, disconnected, general sense. But in the end, it moves very, very close. Psalm 5, verses 1 through 3. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For I pray to you, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. Um, I, I remember there was a time, and then we all like to do this. We, 
a particular person was describing, it was in seminary at the time, and they were describing or complaining about how a lot of these modern worship songs were too my or me or uh, kind of focused on us. And they said, oh, the great hymns of the past, and oh, the great texts that we see, or the great psalms that we see. And I'll never forget my Hebrew professor who was pointing out um, just how silly that idea was that that to, to not be honest or to be personal somehow is to be more spiritual. To not be personal is more spiritual. And uh, he said, yeah, like that great psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He quiets my soul. Listen, <laughs> I get it. Uh, we, we can become far too obsessed with ourselves. But that's not what the psalms are doing. And hopefully that's not what we do when we worship, even when we use my and I and me. May it never be focused on us. Instead, what we actually see in the Psalms, go back and notice how often David particularly injects himself into it. It's, it's not detached. Instead, David is pouring out his own heart and he is describing what his life is like. And he is, uh, again, being very, very personal with what is happening. And and I, I think that's good because I think too often, especially in here, or maybe you're experiencing this at home, this disconnectedness where all of a sudden I'm having a hard time understanding how I fit into us, into the greater community. I think it's easy for uh, individuals to hide in a, even in a space like this and to come and hear a general message. And the Psalms come to us with power uh, in their personal nature and I hope that has been an encouragement to you that even your own prayers or your own thoughts before God are not only honest, but are profoundly personal. The next thing I love about these is I love how they're in the moment. I love how there are a number of Psalms that just cry out. I think sometimes we focus too much when we talk about honest or personal, it's the angsty side of things. But I thought about this Psalm and I'm surprised we didn't do it. Psalm 42 Verses one and two, but we all know this phrase, or even this. Uh, there was a particular hymn that was, or a song that was very popular a number of years ago. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. It, it seems like in that you you have this this moment, this this Polaroid picture, this capturing this idea uh, where someone is pouring out their hearts to God. It, it really does seem like the the spontaneity. Uh, and the honesty within that personal nature, it's, it's like a snapshot. Um, and then by collecting a number of these pictures, we get to see the growth or the development, again, particularly of King David, but a number of other writers or maybe even pictures of Israel as a whole as they tell their story. This is what's happening right now, and we want to stop and remember this, and we want to stop and talk about it and proclaim it and be, be, be truthful to God about our circumstances. I love those in-the-moment moments. And the Psalms remind us of that, that the comings and goings of our lives are not just before God in a general sense, um, but it's okay right now. I learned last week it's okay even in the middle of a message um, to just reflect on the circumstances that are, ha are happening around you and to just break down. So, the in-the-moment sections, I, I think they're really helpful. And, and again, not only those, I'm struggling, but, but God, I, I praise you and I thank you for who you are and 
Wow, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There are so many of those powerful in-the-moment statements um, that the Psalms remind us of. And lastly, uh, I I wanted to figure out this word. I I don't think this means uh, hyperbole to the breaking point, but, but at times I think the psalmist overstates something. Uh, exaggerates it, but I think it drives the point home. And I'm really grateful for creative language where, uh, where, where language isn't just described in its basic, but um, the superlative, uh, the, the, the greatest or the mostest moments, those kinds of things we see in Psalm 12, verse 1. Let's listen to this. This is kind of, uh, again, the psalmist being overwhelmed by just how broken the world is. And so here is what he says. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. Well, wow, okay. Um, It's kind of like when David says in Psalm 51, um, I, I, I was born in sin. In sin, my mother even conceived me. From the time I come out of the... I mean, David is describing this angst. And he's overstating his brokenness. Or maybe you can't over... No, I think you can. You can overstate your brokenness, but you're still trying to drive a very important point home. And um, although I, I don't think that is literally true, there's no one faithful in all loyalty. I remember when Elijah talked like this and God said, that's not true. I have saved for myself 7,000. But by this overstatement, we, we do realize the depth of depravity and the depth of brokenness or maybe even the isolation of a few righteous and how they can feel. And so I'm grateful that the psalmist writes like this so that you and I can have a language to communicate to God and a language for even ourselves to understand and to um, begin to apply uh, the, the truths of faith in our daily lives. And so hopefully the Psalms have really been a blessing to you. We, we considered it to be appropriate to end, end with Psalm 22, particularly for the way in which it points us to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 22, it begins with that very, very powerful statement, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Psalm 22. In Psalm 62, we learned this last week, David said, I find my rest in you. But here, he's, um, he's agonizing in a, in a moment. He's uh, uh, maybe overstating. I mean, we'll have to ask him when we get to heaven what he was doing with Psalm 22. But man, something is happening to him. And this is a reoccurring theme in a number of the Psalms. What does it look like to wait upon the Lord? And again, as as we prepare to look at this Psalm and not only consider it in the life of King David and in the life of the people of God, Israel, but then we look forward to Jesus and how he uses this, King Jesus, and then we see how this, this Psalm really does mold and shape us as the new, the people of God, the church, the called out ones of God, it, it really reminds us how often um, the strongest, uh, the most faithful, the most righteous, if we, if we dare use that term, and the Bible uses that term of individuals, even the most righteous of us can literally cry out in the most difficult and in the most vexing and in the most painful moments, and we cry out to God and we say, God, do you know what it is like? my circumstances. God, do you know what I'm going through? Do you have 
any understanding of what is happening around me. And actually what we see in terms of the answer throughout the scriptures, it's interesting how much God um, even welcomes statements like that. The Psalms, in, in some sense, break that open, but the prophets talk like this. Jeremiah, when he is dealing with the difficulty of his life and of his ministry, he, he cries out, God, you deceived me, meaning when you called me into ministry, you deceived me, for in fact, I was deceived. In, es- in essence, what he's saying is, I don't, think I, I don't think I would have signed up for this if I fully would have understood how difficult it was going to be and how alone I was going to feel and how much the message that I'm preaching is going to be rejected. King David, it's one thing to say you want to be king, but all his adversaries and all of his opposition were just wearing him out. And here we see him asking God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you responded to all of my tears and all of my words that I've spoken to you? Why have you been nothing but... silent. And and really, I guess what he is saying, and I know what you've said. I know what I've said. God, do you know what it's like? Do you know what I'm going through? And and I just think it's good for us. We we could go to a number of different places. I thought about, you know, it's interesting. We, We could go to even Exodus 3, where the children of Israel are calling out to God and calling out to God and calling out to God. And it seems like for a number of years, we don't know if the uh, children of Israel were enslaved for the 430 years they lived in Israel or in Egypt that long, but it seems like it was just under the, the last Pharaoh that uh, there was a switch, the Pharaoh that had forgotten. But we do know that for a long time, at least in their own feeling, in their own understanding, for a long time, they were crying out to God and their prayers were going up and nothing was coming down. And then one day, a shepherd, the deliverer of Israel, is just looking for some sheep, and he sees a bush that is on fire but is not quenched. And then when God speaks to him, here are some of the original words from God in Exodus chapter 3. For I have indeed heard the cries of my people, I have seen their misery, and I have come down to rescue them. It's easy for us to celebrate the deliverance up out of Egypt. We did that last week. Exodus chapters 13 and 14. But before Exodus chapter 1, somewhere between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, there was just a lot of prayers going up. And God, do you know what it's like to be a slave in Egypt? God, do you know what it's like? Psalm 22 gives us that picture into a king's life who still feels alone and is wondering very honestly, very personally, very in the moment, maybe exaggerated, but when we're hurt, I don't know another way to talk except for exaggeration. And I love the fact that God reminds us, and I'm going to jump straight into um, a a, a section from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, again, speaking of Jesus, because I think it's good that we respond not just in kind of the overarching sense of God, but in a very specific sense of God. Because when we cry out to Him, God, where are you? And why have you abandoned me? And why have you not heard me? And why have you not spoken to me? I think it's good for us to remember the totality of God's plan and God's purpose. And in Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer says that we do not have a high priest, that's somebody who would mediate between us and God, 
He's speaking about Jesus Christ and how different he is from everyone else. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, meaning the one who stands between us and God, the one who brings us to God, isn't one who is disconnected from us. He's not someone that we have to explain our sorrow or explain our pain And the priest stands there scratching his head. I I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that experience is. So much of my life in ministry, as I'm trying to care for those people in the most difficult situations, I sometimes need to just be brutally honest. They know it. I know it. I've never been where you are. I don't know exactly how it feels. I'm doing my best to empathize with you. But I'm standing here and I can only imagine what it's like. And I think some of our crying out to God, God, do you know what it's like? We think the answer to that is, if God were to respond, I don't know what it's like. I know what it's about, but I don't know what it's like. But we actually see in Jesus, our King, our High Priest, somebody who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And so when we ask that question, when we pour out our hearts, and like in Psalm 22, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you said anything? God, do you know what it's like? I want us to be reminded this morning that the Scriptures teach us God does know. And, and not just in the, I know of your circumstances, but Jesus Christ, taking on flesh, knows our circumstances. He knows what we are going through. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He's gone through the struggles and the difficulties, so He doesn't stand. God does not stand in our most difficult and painful moments, saying, I have no idea experientially what that is like. In fact, in Christ, we actually have someone who is a greater high priest, who is not only a king as David, who can sit here and just sound like us in our prayers. But as we move towards what Jesus Christ epitomizes in Psalm 22, as he uses it on the cross, is not only is he someone who is going through the agony of rejection and going through the difficulty of oppression and attack, but then he also goes through it victoriously for us. Indeed, not only do I need someone who could voice my broken prayers, but I also need someone who can help me in those prayers. And so as much as this psalm really comes, as you see at the very beginning, a psalm of David, it actually comes to us and speaks in a very real and powerful way. As you know, Matthew and Mark both record these words from Jesus on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They believe Jesus is crawling out to Elijah. Imagine his mouth being parched, the difficulty of him to breathe and to exhale, to, um, to clearly articulate. And some people believe, is he calling for Elijah to come? Wait, let's see if Elijah comes. But instead, Jesus in that moment is not just making a statement about what is happening to him. This isn't just an an emotional response. 
He is drawing the audience, and then Matthew and Mark draw their audiences in to what Jesus Christ is going through. And he uses, Jesus uses, Matthew and Mark then use the picture of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, the servant of God who trusted in God and who loved God, and look where it ended up for him. And Jesus draws attention to that. Sadly, I'll confess this. Too often when teaching from the gospel accounts, this particular use, phrase of Jesus, or even preaching from Psalm 22, I focus too much on the, the front half. The, um, notice how honest Jesus is, and he cries this out, and, and he even wonders, because he's human, he even wonders, where is God? Maybe. I, I then get excited, and I love to draw special attention. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 22. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads. Yep, that's what they were doing when Jesus Christ was betrayed and tortured, when he was dressed up like a king and, um, and spit on and mocked and jeered, not just by the Romans, but even by his own people. Verse 12, many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions, mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of, roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. And, I'm, and, and can you imagine, as Jesus is... is is kind of drawing reference to this, this, the Psalm 22 at the beginning, why have you abandoned me? Um, those who really understood, now I would say the majority of the people would, would see this part of the Psalm, the middle part of the Psalm, and they're watching these things happen. Notice how specific it gets. Dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evil duels have closed in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Jesus is drawing attention to Psalm 22, not just out of a heartfelt, I feel alone. But he's drawing attention to this very powerful psalm within Israel's history that the servant of God who dares to trust in God for deliverance will be vindicated. As he stands on the cross and he said, I am the Messiah, and now everybody's going, okay, this doesn't make sense. Even the disciples themselves, Messiahs don't end up on crosses. And Jesus cries out in Psalm 22. Not just the words, but what he's drawing people to is he is Re re recounting, he is reciting the words of that psalm and helping them realize that here on the cross, he is still waiting on God's deliverance, on God's vindication, on God's rescue. And that is why the people, if you remember, the people that kind of gather around on the cross and they make this statement about him. By the way, they're quoting Psalm 22. Look at what it says in verse 8. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what they say? He said he could save others and yet he cannot save himself. Yeah, I focused a lot on the middle part of this psalm uh, to look at how Jesus is describing what has in fact happened to him and to realize that there is something valuable and important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to, 
to remember that Jesus Christ does, in fact, know what it's looked like. It's not just David, our writer of these particular Psalms, but it is Jesus Christ, our Savior, who quotes some very similar words, and he trusts God, and then God speaks to him. And see, this is why I think it's really, really important for us. It's good to be personal and to be honest. It's even okay for us at times to exaggerate or in the moment to cry out to God. But remember that how we do this is from a Christian perspective. We remember what Jesus Christ has done and what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so when we ask the question, I want to go back and and, and as we look at how this is going to wrap up for us this morning, I, I want us to say it's okay for us at times to ask, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And we remember we're not the only ones to say this. David has said this. Christians throughout the centuries have said this. Our own Savior actually said this. But don't let the silence remain silent. Don't don't stop listening. Don't stop perceiving the activities and the goodness of God. See, sometimes we just sit in the silence or we sit in our pain Um, We we sit, metaphorically speaking, somewhere between Friday, the moment that Jesus died, or Sunday, between the resurrection. And truly, as Christians, every day is not Saturday. And so when we ask that question, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God then speaks back to us. He does. He speaks back to us. The testimony of the Scriptures, even the testimony that we find in Psalm 22, don't just read the first part. Don't just read the middle part. Go on down through the end. The testimony of David is at the end of verse 21. He says, you answered me. God did not just leave David. The psalm may begin there, but it doesn't end there. Our struggles might begin with honest, painful moments of of declaration of lostness and confusion, but I pray that we linger in those moments and we we hear God then come to us. We, We sense his arrival and his rescue. Yeah, at the end of verse 21, you answered me. When we ask God, why have you abandoned me? God's answer in those moments is this. I have not abandoned you. I have not left you. This could be one of those moments where I just have, uh, uh, Steve's kind of one helping us with the slides on the on-demand stuff. Maybe a copy of the, uh, the, the very now cliche uh, picture of the footprints, you know, uh, footprints. I was walking and um, I, I see this section in which I'm walking by myself. Um, and then we think we're walking by ourselves, but it's God at that moment. I mean, that's kind of what we're, what we're describing here. I, I, I think it is helpful for us to remember just how powerful those moments can be when we realize, when we kind of not just come to the end of ourselves like last week in Psalm 62, but when we, dare I say it, get over ourselves and and realize that the testimony of the Bible is that God has truly never abandoned us. I I know that prophets speak like that, and I know that the psalmist will even describe a moment like that. But no, you answered me. The end of the psalm is actually very, very important. I, I think sometimes we love to um, sit around. Have you ever been in those moments where you've either done something wrong or you're in such a very difficult place and you don't even want to be, you, you don't want to find comfort? Like, I don't want to find peace. I don't want resolution. I just want to sit in my misery. 
And, and indeed, what I love about the Psalms is they don't leave us there. In fact, Jesus is not left there. Please do not let your story of Jesus Christ end with him crying on the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For indeed, to somehow end the gospel story with Jesus Christ dying on the cross fails to recognize the power and the provision and the vindication of God. And Jesus Christ, as he is on the cross, is pointing to Resurrection Sunday. He is saying in his moments, I surrender myself to you, God. And then God steps in in that moment and he says, I'm just here to remind you, I never have and I never will abandon you. And so I get it why we might say in those moments, why are you so far from my deliverance then? Why are you so far from my words of groaning? And God says in those moments, and I think you need to hear this this morning, as even the weight of the last few weeks, or maybe for you the weight of the last few months, or maybe for some of us, some things that are going to be happening in the next few weeks or months or possible years where we will find ourselves in those where are you God moments. And so we say to him, then why are you so far away? Why are you so distant? Why won't you come and deliver me? And then God speaks. I am not far from you and your deliverance is near. That is the testimony of David. That is the, the, the testimony of the work of God through the resurrection. That is the testimony that we actually see in verse 24 of our psalm. For he has not despised the abhorred, the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened, listened when he cried to him for help. So I love the fact that this psalm may begin with some very, very difficult statements, true as they might feel. But it actually ends with a very bold, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who hear. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth. See, this is part of the psalm that Jesus was pointing to. All of the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All of the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on the earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust. Jesus is pointing out that through his action of complete obedience, him willing to go to the cross and to surrender himself only to be vindicated by God was never in waste, but was in fact for our redemption and for our joy and for our salvation. And therefore, we have these two things. We have not only a Savior who will sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but as he points out, Hebrews chapter 4, and therefore we can now enter boldly. Why? Because God vindicated this Jesus who trusted him, his only son, who trusted him to the point of death. And therefore, you and I can trust God because even though it might feel like it is silent, yet God speaks, and He is distant, yet He is near, and we are in need of rescue, and the deliverance is coming. And that's why it's good to remember to, to not just get wrapped up in our own struggles and in our own difficulties, 
it's good for us to remember that maybe before we just read a few verses of a psalm or get stuck with just a few days in our week or a few weeks in our month or even a few months in our year, that the story is still being written by God, that God is still pursuing us and being faithful to us. And, and therefore, in this moment of difficulty, I pray that as you continue to struggle with the pain and the oppression and, and, and truly the, um, the, the vexing difficulty that you find yourself in, that you will yet persist and enjoy the deliverance that only He can bring. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your deliverance. You rescued King David from his oppressors. You rescued the prophets from their persecutors. God, indeed, you have been faithful to anyone who has trusted you. The greatest picture of this we see is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who not only considered equality with you as something to be left behind, but instead, Father, he abandoned all of those things to die on the cross, and you, you made it right. And therefore, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord because of His trust in you. And may we be mindful of that and recipients of that. And so we thank you for the honesty of not only our writer of this text, but the one who fulfills it, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so God, may His example be our strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now we come to the time in our service where we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, it's good for us to not only be grateful, but this morning in light of our psalm, that we would recognize that there is a victory that has been uh, accomplished for us and that has been given to us. And so we remember what Jesus Christ has accomplished, and we not only agonize with his statement, but we celebrate his victory, taking this bread, which represents his body, which is given for us. Let us take and eat. Holding up the cup, representing his blood, spilt for us, poured out for us, for our redemption and for our victory. And thus we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. i 
Thank you so much for worshiping with us again this morning. We pray that our time together singing and our time together in the Word, our time together around the table has been an encouragement and a blessing, a strengthening of your spirit and a challenging of your faith. Um, now, as we come to the end of our service, I want to remind you, again, the importance and the value of giving, remembering that the kingdom that Jesus Christ has established is something that we are now partakers in, um, and we joyfully give to that for the glory of God um, and for the benefit of others. Uh, we do this because we uh, care so much for the kingdom to continue advance. Uh, I personally love to be reminded of how many of our missionary partners uh, need our support around the world, and not just financially, but um, even in terms of our prayers. So remember to pray for them as you give, and give for them as you pray. Lastly, let us close our time together in prayer. I thought in light of this series um, and how it has come to a close in Psalm 22, that we would be people who would be, as the psalmist describes, very honest with our faith and that we would grow in our awareness of and our dependence upon God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for faith, for the ability to believe, and we consider it truly to be a blessing. We thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself through the saints and particularly through the Psalms. We thank you for uh, their honesty and for the way in which they have given us a language um, and uh, an understanding of how to go through our daily walk with you. And Father, I pray that we would grow in our um, understanding of and dependence upon you. May we not seek independence from you May these psalms that we have read, um, may they humble us and may they teach us just how much we need you to vindicate us like in Psalm 22 or to provide for us like Psalm 23. God, to provide rest for us like in Psalm 62 or to be an example for us like Psalm 1. We thank you for each of these and for the way that they have blessed and encouraged us. It's in Jesus' name, the one who fulfilled all the psalms, we pray. Amen.